about how important your attitude is. See, what we're learning here is that the inhabitants of the land, they had already lost the battle. They were faint-hearted because God was on their side. But let me talk to you who are here today who are believers. How's your attitude? Do you have the hope that Jesus offers? Do you have the patience that Jesus has? Do you believe that God can bring good out of tough situations? Athletes and coaches of any sport will tell you that the head game is just as key as the physical aspect. Wins and losses begin with what happens between your ears. But this isn't just a sports thing. Today, Pastor Daniel shares that your attitude is key in being able to successfully navigate the ups and downs of life. Being able to experience the abundant life that God has for you requires you to stay connected to His hope, grace and truth. Now here's Pastor Daniel in Joshua chapter 2 as he continues his message, Rahab the Hero. Lying becomes permissible when it lines up with the will of God. You can use the analogy. Many of you have read the diary of Anne Frank. We read it for school. So when The Nazis were systematically exterminating Jewish people. People who loved God resisted those laws and hid them and lied about it. And I believe that God was absolutely honored with their lying in that juncture because their lying is to counteract a great atrocity. You also find in the Bible, if you recall, when King Saul was pursuing David. Saul was the king... David had already been anointed king, but he had not ascended to the throne. And he refused, although David was a total MMA warrior, crazy guy, right? Oh, there's all these times he could kill Saul, but he doesn't because he honors God's plan in it. But Saul married his daughter, Michael, to David. And Michael lied where David was because Saul was coming to kill him. And in the same way, I believe that her lying was actually an act of worship because it was thwarting a greater evil. Does that make sense? No, I realize that, you know, there's so many like, what about in this situation? Can I lie here and this and that? And, you know, but what you end up having is, is she says, yeah, these guys came. I didn't know where they were from. And it happened, you know, as the gates were shut that these guys, they went on out. So I don't know where they went. So you guys better get going. Quit poking around here. Like, go find those guys. But we find out in verse 6 that she had brought them up to the roof and she hitted them with the stalks of flax which they had laid in order on the roof. Now, you have to realize that in that culture, like we have these sloped roofs. In that culture, they had flat roofs. Why? Because they didn't have air conditioning. You know, so their roofs ended up being almost like balconies. If you ever gone to like a beach house, they do that too, right? Where they have the roof, instead of it being sloped, they have sometimes flat roofs with balconies on top. And so if you go to Israel today, you could still see there's all these roofs where you can, they're flat roofs and, you know, and so the idea was, is that it was the perfect place for them to dry out grain. 
they would pick these stalks of grain and they would want them to stay in the sun so they could dry them out. And so she hid those guys in the midst of all the grain so that no one would find them. And when they heard this, everybody ran on out to pursue them on the road to the Jordan. And right as they went to pursue them, it says that the gates were shut. So what we have now is we have these two men are hiding out on Rahab's roof and the gates are shut on in. Now in verse eight, it says this. It says, now before they lay down, she came up to them on the roof and said to them, verse nine, I know that the Lord has given you the land and the terror of you has fallen on us and that all the inhabitants of the land are faint hearted because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the waters of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt and when you did And what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted. Neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you. For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on the earth beneath. Verse 12. Now, therefore, I beg you, Swear to me by the Lord, since I have shown you kindness, that you also will show kindness to my father's house and give me a true token and spare my father, my mother, my brothers, my sisters, and all that they have and deliver our lives from death. So the men answered her, our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours and it shall be, When the Lord has given us this land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. So you see now why Rahab did what she did. Because Rahab, after the coast, she goes up to the roof. She says, look, I know that God has given you this land. I know it. I, she has as much faith in what God has said he would do than anybody in all of Israel. Right? I know that God has given you this land. And the terror of you has fallen on us and all the inhabitants of the land are faint-hearted because of you. See, the testimony of what God did in the Exodus has now made its way into the promised land and everyone is freaking out that the God who defeated the Egyptians, his people are coming into the land. And that was exactly what God told the people he was going to do. He said, the testimony of what I am going to do in itself is going to be the game changer. See, you all know that morale is always a major factor in warfare, isn't it? I mean, morale is a major factor. If you ever study team dynamics, you watch sports teams. When there is a chemistry problem or a morale problem, when people have a loser's mentality or they know that they're going to lose, oftentimes they do. What happens often is that our attitude impacts the outcome. I'll never forget this. I remember when I was in sixth grade, sixth grade, maybe seventh grade, a bunch of my friends were wrestlers, not WWF wrestlers jumping off the top turnbuckle. That would have been fun. But like mat wrestlers, like what do you call it? You know, it's like they wear those little singlets and stuff. And so a couple of my friends were like, you should wrestle. And I'm like, that doesn't sound fun at all. But they talked me into it, and so I got into wrestling. And it was funny because I remember it was really fun for a while, except I didn't really like, like, the cutting weight part of it because, you know, like, you, in order to wrestle, you need to, like, if you want to try and win, you need to, like, be way thinner than you would normally be. And so I had my buddy, Mike, who was a really good wrestler. I remember he was, like, 140 pounds, and he would wrestle, like, 112. 
It was crazy. Like we'd walk around with like plastic bags under our shirts so that we'd sweat spitting in the cup to get all the water weight out of us. It was really bad, you know? Anyway, that's a side story. But I remember that when I was a wrestler, so I remember I ended up wrestling at 119 pounds. That was my, the weight. And so what I realized way later was that I always got freaked out when someone had the vein in the bicep. You guys know what I'm talking about? I've always wanted the vein. And I, I don't have one still. I'm working, I'm working on it. But like, there's something about the vein that every time someone had the vein, it would freak, like I get in my head. I'm like, they got the vein. You know, it's like when they had the vein, it was like, there was no way that I was going to be able to beat them on the wrestling man. Now, if you have the vein, don't come and tell me in the family room that you're like, I got the vein. Don't you, don't, you know, don't cover my vein or whatever. I see you guys laughing in Portland. Don't be laughing about that if you got the vein. So anyway, I go up to this tournament. So I end up placing into the tournament. So I did pretty good, you know? And I remember I get to the tournament, you know, first round, and I meet the guy who I'm going to wrestle with. This is a guy I wrestled earlier in the season, and I beat him. But all of a sudden, somewhere along the season, he got the vein. <laughs> and I remember I go to sit down before the match. My coach is like, you're freaked out. Why are you freaked out right now? And I'm like, he's got the vein. What's the vein? I'm like, the bicep vein. He's like, so? I'm like, I I don't got the bicep vein. You know, and he's like, what's the difference? Just go pin the guy. But you know what happened? I got pinned in like 30 seconds. If you don't know the rest of that means I got totally blown out. I wasn't even on the mat. Literally, I was like, I barely even got there. It's like, I just, he got the vein, I rolled over. Just, you know, it was bad. It was really bad. Now, I'll never forget because I got off the mat. I got off the mat. And so, now, meanwhile, this was a long time ago. And I, lived, I grew up in New Jersey. And so my coach took my headgear and hit me with it. And he said, you should have just forfeited. You lost before you even made it onto the mat. And it's funny. Like, I think about it now. It's like, we could have sued him. Could have been rich. You know, like, he was a great coach. And he's like, you got in your head. And then he gave me the talk. He's like, you know, you realize that like 90% of this is in your head. 90% of life is in, in between your two ears. You know, 90% of every game, every situation, most of it resides between your two ears. And what goes on in your body, that's a whole other thing. But if you lose in the mental game, you're going to lose the whole thing. And I remember going home from that and just being like, why did I get so freaked out about the vein? Like, what does it really mean? So he's got more lean muscle mass than I do. What's the difference? It reminds me about how important your attitude is. See, what we're learning here is that the inhabitants of the land, they had already lost the battle. They were faint-hearted because God was on their side. But let me talk to you who are here today who are believers. How's your attitude? Do you have the hope that Jesus offers? Do you have the patience that Jesus has? Do you believe that God can bring good out of tough situations? Do you believe that God can bear fruit in your life from the hardest situations? Do you actually believe that because you've been redeemed by Jesus, that you are of infinite value in God's kingdom and you are an absolute detriment to the purposes and plans of Satan? If that isn't your attitude, that you don't have a biblical attitude. And I believe God wants us to get a little attitude up in church. 
I believe that what God wants is God wants us to see ourselves for who we really are, robed in the righteousness of Jesus and already victorious. But if we are walking through our days as believers feeling defeated, then we are not leaning into the finished work of Jesus, my friends. What kind of morale do you have spiritually? Unfortunately, because we live in a kind of a crusty, angry culture, the people of God are getting shady like that. When, when somebody starts to doubt, no one says, hey, but God. When someone starts getting upset, they say, listen, God can work this together for good because he loves you and you love him and you are called according to his purpose. That God can leverage all the garbage in such a way that he accomplishes amazing and perfect plans that we'd have never guessed would have happened. See, each one of us brings morale to every situation. You bring your attitude to every situation. I mean, like two people can experience the exact same thing and one of them is built up and builds other people up and another person is teared down and tears other people down. What's the difference? The difference is, is what you place into that situation by your beliefs. Now, here at Crossroads, we believe that our mission is to simply respond to Jesus, which means no matter what goes on, we say, Jesus... I don't get it if you don't get it, but I trust you. Lord, I know that you're going to do a work. So whatever you're doing, help me to respond in a way that brings you glory and draws me closer to you and leverages the situation. But what's your attitude like right now? Are you the kind of person who sees the world through the lenses of the Holy Spirit? Because you know what? The Holy Spirit isn't worried about anything right now. He knows it's all good in God's hood. Like, he's like, man, my kingdom is just fine right now. But so often we bring, we bring a defeated morale into situations that were already victorious. So can we ask the Lord for some attitude adjustments? How many of you, when you were a kid, your parents told you you need an attitude adjustment? I think that was like the most common phrase I heard growing up. My parents were like, Daniel, you need an attitude adjustment. I'm like, you guys raised me. That was me. It's not my fault. But you know what's beautiful? The children of Israel were already victorious because everybody was freaked out. What's amazing here is that the children of Israel were the recipients of all that God had promised to do for them, and God did it. Now everyone's like, man, the Lord is with you. The Lord wiped out the Egyptians. He took care of Sihon and Og. And when we heard all this stuff, our hearts melted. And God told them that's exactly what he was going to do. So Rahab first testifies of the testimony of the Lord and what that testimony was doing in the land. And then she gets to her request. Notice in verse 12, now therefore. Now here across, when we see the word therefore, what do we say? What's it there for? Bible scholars right there. Therefore is a literary term that draws to a conclusion. Because God is doing a work, here's what I want. Now therefore, and notice she says, I beg you. So this is just like, hey, can we do this? She's like, my plea to you is what? Since I have shown you kindness, that you will also show kindness to me and to my father's house. 
And you would give me, it says here, a true token or a pledge of truth. That you will, because I have shown this kind. Now the word kindness here is beautiful because it's the word hesed in the Hebrew, which literally means covenant faithfulness. Right? It's a word that God often uses for the relationship he wants to have with his people. The idea of a covenant is the idea of marriage. Marriage is designed to be covenantal. It's not just a legal standing, and it's not just a social standing. The idea is two people get together, and they make a covenant together. And within this covenant, within these promises that are made, the idea of hesed is covenant faithfulness. That we are going to be faithful no matter what to this covenant. Now, when a man and a woman come together in the covenant of marriage, what you're doing is you are promising one another. And we need to make sure when we make that promise, we are making that promise and we are faithful to that promise. No matter what. And we learn that from our Bibles because God made a covenant with the children of Israel And even though the children of Israel were not faithful to that covenant, if you read the prophetic books, how often does God call the children of Israel harlots? Why? Because they were not faithful to the covenant that they had made with God. And so they were like adulterers. They were spiritual adulterers and adulterers. They were straying from God. But was God ever unfaithful to his promises? No. And God has never been unfaithful to you. Not one day. Not one moment. Not one situation. On our side of the wall, are we faithful? Are we functioning in this hesed, this covenant faithfulness, this kindness? Some of your translations have loving kindness. There's all these different words to try and get at this idea of what is this covenant faithfulness? Right? She's like, look, I've been faithful covenantally to you, will you return the favor to me? And really her request is, when you guys come in and we know that you're going to wipe out everything, will you protect my family? Will you protect my father, his house, my mom, my brothers, my sisters? And notice what they answered her. Our lives for yours. If none of you tell this business of ours It shall be when the Lord has given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with you. I love that. Don't miss the our lives for yours line. That's exactly what Jesus did for us. He gave his life for ours. And that's why he says, if you want to be my disciple, you need to deny yourself. You need to take up your cross and follow me. He's saying, well, I gave my life for you. Now it's time for you to return the favor and give your life back to me. And my friends, I believe that every single day we need to re-up with the Lord and saying, Lord, you've given your life for me. I'm going to give my life for you as a living sacrifice. Can we all admit together that it's hard to be faithful? Can we all just be, like, can we just acknowledge that? It's one of the things I love so much about our family of faith here because we're real about it. You know, we're not going to pretend like, oh yeah, being faithful is so easy. It's not easy. There's a million distractions. There's a million temptations that go on. But I believe every day we need to say, Lord, you have given your life for me and I'm going to give my life for you. I give my life as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. Are we doing that? 
Are we saying, Lord, you have always been faithful to me and I am not going to be unfaithful to you any longer? I believe for many of us, what that means is that you need to lay aside some things that you have incorporated into your life. There are areas of unfaithfulness that right now you're hearing this and you don't want to just hear it and be like, yeah, yeah, I need to work on that. But what's the steps that you have to take? What are the things that God is saying to you? This area needs to change right now. If you are truly faithful to me, this is not part of your life. And then make a plan and share the plan with people you know who will pray for you and encourage you. Share it within your small group, within your sphere of friends. Start praying for one another because that's how transformation happens. We don't just want to hear a message, but we want to respond to God's word in such a way that now all of a sudden we're taking the next steps together. And we do it together. We don't just feel it ourselves. We bring our friends and our loved ones into it. Why? Because there's strength in numbers. Because you need to be able to tell someone, I'm really struggling here. Will you pray for me? I think it was A.W. Tozer who said, it's always easy to be holy when someone's looking over your shoulder. Why? Because there's a part of us that we know someone's going to be able to find out about it. We're like, well, I don't have to tell them that I did that. I don't have to own that piece. So it becomes its own deterrent. And that's a good thing. Because in the beginning, you need help, right? When you're first trying to live differently in God's kingdom, when the spirit is encouraging you to take healthy steps forward, you need people to come alongside you. You need people to be there for you. You need people to check in with you. As you get ahead of steam, you don't need them as much, but you still need them to just be like, hey, you're still doing great? Yeah, doing great. Perfect. Right? And I believe that that's what God wants to do. He's given his life for us. And he says, now I want you to give your life for me. Are we willing to cast our crowns before the true king of kings and the Lord of lords? Are we willing to say, Jesus, your life? I want your life in my life. Now, in verse 15, we see how this thing starts to come down. It says, then she let them down by a rope through the window for her house was on the city wall and she dwelt on the wall and she said to them, get to the mountain lest the pursuers meet you. Hide there three days until the pursuers have returned. Afterward, you may go your way. And so the men said to her, we will be blameless of this oath of yours, which you have made us swear, unless when we come into the land that you bind this line of scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. And unless you bring your father, your mother, your brothers, and all your father's household to your own home, so it shall be that whoever goes outside the doors of your house into the street, his blood shall be on his own head and we will be guiltless. And whoever is with you in this house, his blood shall be on our head if a hand is laid on him. And if you tell this business of ours, then we will be free from the oath which you made us swear. And she said, according to your words, so be it. And she sent them away and they departed and she bound the scarlet cord in the window. Jesus is It's hard to be faithful. Can't we all relate to that? Today, Pastor Daniel urged you to take stock of your life. Are there areas that need to change in order for you to foster faithfulness? You were encouraged to come up with some specific steps to take to make those changes and then share your plan with a few people who can support and pray for you. 
Pastor Daniel reminded you that you're not in this alone. We should respond to God's word together. Hey everybody, Pastor Daniel here. I just want to say thank you for tuning in. I'm so stoked you're a listener of Jesus' Real Radio, and I know Jesus has amazing plans for you. I'd love to hear the story of how God's working in your life. Give us a call here at Jesus' Real Radio at 360-256-4655 or email me at real at danielfusco.com. We're so glad we can be a part of your life through the ministry of Jesus is Real Radio. Would you like to be a part of what we're doing? We would like to ask that you prayerfully consider becoming a financial partner of this program. Your contribution, no matter the size, will be used to reach people with the gospel message. Find out more at JesusIsRealRadio.com. Just click on Give. Thank you for partnering with us. Join us next time as Pastor Daniel talks about faith you'll learn that it's not so much about having great faith as it is having faith in a great God. This is what will drive your willingness to step out into what the Lord is asking you to do, even though it's scary, even when it's hard. The Israelites did this when they crossed the Jordan River into the land that God had promised them. Their trust in God carried them forward. Well, that's all the time we have for today's broadcast. On behalf of Pastor Daniel and the entire production team, we invite you to join us again for the next edition of Jesus is Real Radio.